This week's parsha is Parsha's B'Shalach. There's a poem that was written by the Shach. The Shach, Reb Shapsi Kayin, was one of the great halacha commentators. He wrote a, a fundamental pirish on Yeridea, and we call it the Shach. And when he made a siyam on that classic masterpiece of a commentary, he decided that he was going to praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu through the medium of poetry. So if you look in the Hakdama to the Shach and Yeridea, you will find a, a pretty nice-sized poem, and in it he gives Shevach and Haidah to the Rabbani Shleilam, and he puts a lot into it, a lot of history into it, and a lot of emotion into it. One of the stanzas of this poem reads as follows. Tziva Lomol Gerim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded to circumcise all converts. Hika B'Sanverim. Parai in Mitzrim. He hit with blindness. He smote Parai and all of the Egyptians with blindness. Kisamu bayayayim b'neinu zechayreinu. Because Parai threw all of the firstborn Jewish babies into the Ya'ar, into the Nile. So because of that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Midah Kenegin Midah, drowned in this week's parsha, Parsha's B'Shalach, by Kriyas Yamsov. I mean, that's the simple pshat. They, they drowned, Midah Kenegin Midah. And they were smote, with blindness, Hikab is Sanverim. Para and the Egyptians were blinded at this point in history. And it's a sort of a cryptic thing that he's writing here that the Egyptians and Para were blinded. We don't look find that anywhere. Where do we find that Para and the Egyptians went blind? It's a, it's a new one. Where did the Shaf get this from to put this in his, uh, in his poem? And if you want to say that, well, maybe what he means is in Makas Cheshach, Makas Cheshach was they were blinded in a certain way. They weren't able to see one another. But L'chaira, he doesn't say that it's talking about Makas Cheshach. And presumably it's talking about Kriyas Yamsuf because that was the Midah Kenegad of drowning our Egyptian, our Jewish boys into the Yar. Midah Kenegad they were drowned. Parai. The Chelai, Parah, and Mitzrayim were drowned in, in their Simbida So it seems that there was Sanverim, there was some degree of blindness that the Shach is alluding to at Kriyas Yamsuf. And the question is, where do you find that? Where, is there a Medrash? Is it a Gemara? Is it something that he knew? So who would you go to if you want to find the answer to this? You go to Reb Chaim Kanievsky. Because Reb Chaim Kanievsky knows everything. So if there's a Medrash, if there's a Zayar, if there's a Yerushalmi, if there's uh, some, something out there, so he would know about it. So they Taka asked him, what does the Shach mean over here when he says, Hika b'sanverim? And Rechaim Kanievsky said that there's a Medrash in Shemais Rabbah, Perak Tesvav, Medrash Tesvav. 
And the Medrash says, on the Pasuk in our parsha, Umitzrayim, Nosim, Likrosai. This means that the waters, these turbulent waters of the Yamsuf, were coming like towards Mitzrayim. They were hurtling towards Pare and all of his vaunted army. Umitzrayim, Nosim, and, and Mitzrayim was Nosim. What does Nos mean? They're running away. They didn't want to get drowned. They saw the, the seas crashing down on them. Umitzrayim, Nosim, Lekrosai. Lekrosai seems to be saying that they were going into the Ar. Nosim means they're running away from something. Lekrosai means towards something. What are they doing? If you're saying that you know, there's somebody chasing you and you're, I'm running away from him, where are you running? I'm running right towards him. It doesn't make sense. And this is what the Medrash is aiming on. The Medrash wants to understand what the Pasuk means. And the Lush in the Medrash is, That they were, they were being chased by the sea. But it says that they were chasing, they were running away towards the sea. Is there somebody that runs away from something and also towards it? What's going on? But rather what it means to say is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu tricked them. HaKadosh Baruch Hu disoriented them. For a moment, there was a, the fog of war. There's something called the fog of war. There's something that, I don't know where I am, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm completely out of wits, I don't know what to do. HaKadosh Baruch Hu made them confused. HaKadosh Baruch Hu made them um, disoriented. And they thought that they were running away from the Yamsa, but really what they were doing was they were Nosim Balikrasai. They didn't understand what they were doing. They thought that they were running away from the, from the Yamsa, but really they were running right into it. And Sir Chaim Kanievsky says, I think that's the medrash that the Shach must have been alluding to. That when he writes in his poem, blinded them in the sense, not in a physical sense, but in, a, uh, in, a, uh, in, a, in an understanding sense. They were blinded, they didn't know where to go. They, were, they might as well have been blind because they couldn't see anything. They couldn't understand where they were. They thought they were going in one direction and they were going in the opposite direction. And that was a midah kenegin midah to drown them in the sea. HaKadosh Baruch wanted to make sure that they didn't run out, that not one of them survived. So they were running into the sea and that's a midah kenegin midah that they should drown that way, midah kenegin midah that they drowned our B'nai Zechareinu. So I saw this Vart and I was thinking a little bit about this concept of thinking that you're doing one thing and really you're doing something completely different. You know, about a a week and a half ago there was this uh, terrible helicopter crash that uh, captured the world's imagination because it wasn't a regular helicopter crash with regular passengers, which would have also been horrific, 
but the world was very, very focused on this one in particular because it had a very famous basketball, some say, basketball player, some say the most, perhaps the greatest basketball player of all time, um, Kobe Bryant. And him and eight other people were in this helicopter, and it was a very foggy day in California, and they don't even know why this pilot was given permission to fly, but he was given permission. And, and the, the helicopter went down. There was poor visibility, and when it struck the ground, it was flying at about 184 miles per hour and descending at a rate of more than 4,000 feet per minute. That's what the data showed. So they wanted to understand, they don't know exactly, but they were theorizing and they were interviewing people in the article that I had read about what caused it to go down. Why would a helicopter, this guy was a very experienced helicopter pilot, he wasn't a brand new guy, he, he wasn't just trying, his, you know, trying it out for a spin the first time. So what is it, how did that happen? So in this interview, um, it says that it's quite common. It's not an uncommon thing that when you're in a, uh, in, in a foggy climate and you don't know where you are, so oftentimes a pilot thinks that he knows where he is. He knows that he has to now take the helicopter up because to get, let's say, over the clouds. But in fact, because he's all disoriented, he can't have any visibility outside of his windshield. So very often, I think they call it vertigo, like you get all dizzy, you get all confused, and you don't know whether up is down or down is up. So there's a, an instrument panel in the helicopter and the instrument panel basically tells you which direction you're going. Are you climbing an altitude or are you, are you going down, descending an altitude? But pilots then, and this is a retired army colonel who flew helicopters in Iraq, he's the one that says this, that if the pilot gets disoriented, pilots must instantly switch from visual cues to flying the aircraft using only the machine's instruments. Meaning, you, have to, you can't look out the window, it's not helping you. So you have to look at the instrument panel and, and trust it. It's one of the most dangerous conditions you can be in, he said. Oftentimes, your body is telling you something different than what the instruments are telling you. You can feel like you're leaning to the left or the right when you're not. If the pilot isn't well-trained enough to believe the instruments, you get in a panic situation. That's a very important few words that he just said. If you're a good pilot, if you're a well-trained pilot, you don't have Gaiva and say, I know better than the instrument panel and I have to go with my gut and I, I'm going to go in the direction that I think because you're wrong. You have to trust in the, in, the, in, the, in the pilot's instrument panel. You have to trust in the computer. You have to trust in what, is, what it's saying to you, even though you think that there must be a malfunctioning. It's not, it doesn't make sense. I'm not, going, I'm not going down. I'm going up. But if you see that it's saying you're going down, you've got to push up the steering wheel so that you start... You know, going in the other direction, even though you think now you're going to be hurtling down to the ground because you feel like you're going down now, but you're really going up. So this concept 
of the Medrash, who Mitzrayim Nasim Lekrasai, I think really is ripped from the headlines in a sense. I think this is really what it is. They, it's very possible, it sounds strange, I mean, they're running to something, away from something, away from something to something. That happens very often. A lot of times in life, we are disoriented, and when we think that we're actually going up, we're really going down. We think we're going down, we might really be going up. And I think that's very negaya to all of us throughout our personal life. Because who do we trust in? When we have questions, when, we don't, when things don't make sense to us about things that we're doing, that's when Amunah and Bitochen and the Rabbani Shalom kicks in. And you have to trust what the Torah says, even over what your rational thinking dictates. You think, I know best, I know what's good and I know what's not good, I know what's, what's going to make sense and what's not going to make sense, but the Torah is saying something opposite. Now, that's when trust comes in. If you're good, you have to trust the Torah. If you're not good, you trust yourself because you think you have a, you know, you have a good internal compass. But people that are really trained pilots, quote-unquote, if you're really a good yid, you will understand that even if I don't believe that this makes sense, I have to trust the, the control panel. I have to trust the Torah to tell me right and wrong. And when you do that, you're on the right direction. If you don't do that, if you're leaving everything up to your own decisions in life, then you're in a lot of trouble. I'll give you a few examples of things that are in the Torah, and it's really counterintuitive. It doesn't seem to make sense to a human mind, and you think that this is a very bad thing, but really it's the best thing. The first thing that comes to my mind is Aser to Aser. The Torah says you should take Meiser. It doesn't just says, say take Meiser, it says Aser to Aser. Double Lashen. And Chazal Darshan Aser, take Meiser Bishvil. Shetis Asher, so that you should become wealthy. Now, this is a very difficult concept for a human being to understand. Because, think about it. I'm making $100,000 a year. Let's say I have to take my serve $10,000, just to keep it easy. Have to take my serve $10,000. Now, $10,000 is a lot of money for somebody making $100,000. $10,000 is one out of every $10 that I own. I have to give it to Tzedakah. I have to give it to Aniyan. And you think, this is ridiculous. Wouldn't it be better for me to take that $10,000, put it in my, uh, in my retirement account, in my IRA fund, in my 401k, uh, put it in the stock market, and 30 years from now, when I retire, it'll be worth, not $10,000, it'll be worth a million dollars by then, maybe. I should take 10000 of my hard-earned dollars and give it away to some random people that uh, I don't even know. I'm giving tzedakah my... It doesn't make sense. It does not make sense for a rational... To a rational person, charity makes no sense. It doesn't make sense. I mean, if, if you see many gayim the way their concept of giving charity, they mom, it's, a, it's busyness. They have like records. They have, uh, you know, if you run for a certain uh, public office, you have to disclose your, your taxes and your, you know, your, your 1040s. 
and, uh, and, and you see how much charity they took as a deduction. It's literally an a embarrassingly low sum. They, these are people that could be making millions of dollars, and they'll give, I don't know, a few hundred dollars to charity over the whole year. But that's normal. Because ra- rationally speaking, I mean, it makes them look miserly, but rationally speaking, they're right. Why would I give charity? I, I, I worked hard for the money. It's my money. Let me invest it. Let me blow it. Let me go on a, on a, on a trip somewhere. Why do I have to give $10,000 of my money to an honey? doesn't make sense. So my internal vertigo, spiritual vertigo, will tell me, don't. It's foolish. It doesn't make sense. You're going to get poor by doing this. Don't you want to become wealthy? Don't you want to invest it? Don't you want to listen to all of the, you know, the financial gurus telling you how to, how to manage your, your wealth? I'm going to give my money away without any return. I'm not getting interest on it. I'm not even, it's not even a loan. It's charity. I'm giving it away. Comes the Tyra, we look at our screen in our cockpit, and the Tyra is saying this is a surefire way to get wealthy, not to be poor, to be wealthy. And now you have a very hard decision to make because you have to trust either yourself and your own instincts or you have to trust what the Tyra is, is, is telling us. And it's a, it's a very big challenge for many people to do this because it doesn't seem to make sense. There's a uh, Tysus and Tynus on Nakamura brings down a very interesting story about a guy who always is very medoptic with his field to give Meiser, you know, uh, of Tuois tu- and, and Trumas and Meisers and uh, Peya and Leket and Shikko, all the Matnas Aniyim he gave away and, and, his, and his, his crops always did very well. He had bumper crops. And then his son went to Harvard Business School and he came back, this is what the measure says, not, not, not Harvard, but it says he went and he learned the Chachma of, uh, you know, he learned, he got very smart in, in college and he learned uh, all about finance, all about economics. He comes home, he looks at the books and he says, uh, Tati, what, what are you doing? <laughs> you need me to come in. I'm, you know, I'm going to, you, you know, you sit on the side, let, let me use my financial brilliance that I just picked up in school. Let me use that now. You're going to be happy with what I'm going to do. And he basically cut down, he didn't give Chumas and Maisa anymore, he didn't give Peya and Lokmoshik, Lekha, Shukha, Peya, everything was gone. And the Medrash says that in the end, they only had 10% of their total fields left. They became very poor because Mida Kanagami, you didn't want to give Maisa, all you're left with is, is, is Maisa, what you would have given to the Ani, that's what you became the Ani. It, it came back like a boomerang at you. Aser b'shvil shetis asher. I once saw Rav Shlomo Yehuda Rechnitz, who was a very, very major baltzadaka in California. Uh, he was speaking somewhere, and I think at a mere dinner, he's very, very uh, active in the mere yeshiva, and many yeshivas for that matter. But he said at the dinner that he was a, a very you know, crowded room, packed with people, balabatim, everybody... He says, let me tell you something. He says, I will give you a secret that's baduk umenusa. It's tried and it's true. This is tried and true. This isn't, this isn't hocus pocus. This is real. He says, figure out how much money you want to make this year. Figure out how much money you want to make and then write a check 
for 10% of that total amount. You want to make $100,000 this year? You make, write out a check to Tzedakah for $10,000. You want to make a million dollars this year? Write out a check for 100000 You want to make a billion dollars this year? Write out a check for $100 million. Whatever you want to make, write out a check for that, assuming obviously that you have that money in your bank, write out a check and HaKadosh Baruch will give you that amount. He says it's Badr Kumunis, I try all the time. And it works. Whatever you want, you want, just pick out, dream large, whatever you want to make in this year, you give 10% of that to Tzedakah, and you will make that number. You will make that number. Now, this is very counterintuitive. This, is, this goes against our internal, internal clocks. This, all the clocks inside, all our internal dashboard, everything is spinning. It's like, well, I, I can't do this. This is crazy. I can't give 10% away of my hard-earned wealth to Taniyam for what? I'll give him a dollar here, a dollar there, a $20 bill here, there. If I'm in a good mood, I'll give $100 to somebody. But to mamish, make a calculation of what I owe exactly, it's a lot of money. And many people are medacted and they give uh, assets, assets they, give, they give a fifth, they give a chaymish. You're not supposed to give more than a chaymish, but up until a chaymish, the really people that are medacted, give, they give up to a chaymish, they, they give uh, 20%. That's really a lot. But that's something that the Torah is telling you to do it. We're disoriented in life. We're blinded. We're hikubasandeir, and we can't see that. And so we want to go with our own internal clock, but we have to trust the Torah. The Torah is saying what's true. The Torah has the real dashboard. The Torah has the real instrument panel. The Torah's, the Torah's instruments are perfectly calibrated. It's our mind that's off. Another very similar example is keeping Shabbos. Now, Baruch Hashem, we keep Shabbos and hopefully um, our families keep Shabbos and we were maybe brought up keeping Shabbos. This was like part of our upbringing. And so us, we're used to, you know, the fact that uh, Shabbos is a given. Like, of course you don't work on Shabbos. Baruch Hashem. But let's say for, for a minute we were people that are not yet Shemer Shabbos. And now we have to make a decision on Shabbos do we stay home from work? Or do we go to work? Do we go and open up our stores on Shabbos? Or do we not? Do we do the bookkeeping that we like to getting over on Shabbos when we don't have to be at work or do our financial stuff or pay the bills or, or not? Now, if you're not a Shemir Shabbos, I'm not talking if we are Shemir, but let's try to step back as if we were not for a second. It must be an incredibly hard decision for a person to say that for 24, 25 hours, every Shabbos, every week, I am not going to open up my store. I am not going to sell my stuff on eBay or Amazon. I'm, I'm going to just completely you know, shut everything down for 25 hours. It's a very hard thing to do. What are you going to tell the person? No, don't worry about it. You know, you're going to... Hashem will... Okay, that might be true, but Lamaisa, I will see directly, if I am not working on one day out of seven, that's a very substantial decline in my income. Now, will it be made up? Yes, it will. We believe that. The Torah promises that, uh, that we're not going to lose for Shabbos. Shemitah, by the way, is a, an extension of Shabbos. Shemitah is not just one day a week. It's a whole year, every seven years. Don't do it. Imagine you're a farmer... 
you have a family to feed, you have uh, you know, seven, eight, ten kids in the, in the farmhouse, they're waiting for food, and all you have, you're only, you don't have money in the stock market, and you don't have any, uh, you know, an Amazon business, all you have is your farm. That's all you have. And what you, you eat what you kill. If you're able to plant, and you're able to harvest, and you're able to sell it or eat it yourself, you live. If you don't, you don't. Tell a person, don't do that for a whole year. Imagine telling that to a lawyer. Imagine going over to a lawyer for one year out of seven years. You have to just retire. You sit. You learn in Cairo for one year, or a doctor, or a plumber, or an engineer, or an accountant, or, or an actor. Anything. How many people would really be able to do that? But the Torah says, "With I'm going to command my bracha. If you keep shemitah, you're going to be fine during the shemitah year. You're going to be fine matzay shemitah until the crops start." being planted again and growing, I'm, you're going to be fine. Now, that's nice, because we live in America, and we're learning, you know, we learn the Parish of Shemitah, it's very nice, bitachan, rara, go farmers. But imagine for a second, if you were a farmer, it's very different when you put yourself in the shoes of somebody else. It's nice to learn Chumash with Rashi, sitting in Queens. But what happens when you're actually a farmer in Eretz Yisrael, and now some, some rabbi is telling me that for one year you have to just... Let the field lie fallow. Don't touch it. What do I do all day? You learn. You sit, go to, go to Kailu. I don't know how to learn. I don't want to learn. I want to, I want to do my crops. I bought, I'm paying a mortgage on this farm. Every, every month I have to pay thousands of dollars. You're telling me that I can't bring in an income? Think about it. But yet there are many, many hundreds, maybe thousands of farmers in Eretz Israel that are Shemrei Shemitah. And there are millions of Jews around the world that is Shemesh Shabbos. And that's a very big thing. We're, again, we're, we're used to it, so it's not a big deal. It's like it, it's, it's baked into being a Yid that we're Shemesh Shabbos, so we don't even have a Havamina working on Shabbos, Baruch Hashem. But let's say we were not, it's, it's, a, it's an act of bitachen, pure and simple. In fact, the, there's a Pasuk that compares the people that are Shemesh Shemitah to being like Gibere Kayach Malachim, Malachi Hashem, Gibari Kayach. They're very courageous, strong people. It takes a lot of, you know, flexing of the muscles. You have to really be strong in order to do this. It's completely counterintuitive. If, if you're expecting your rational thinking to dictate what you do, you will not be a Shemr Shemitah, you will not be a Shemr Shabbos, you will not give Meiser, you won't do a lot of the mitzvahs in the Torah because rationally speaking, they make no sense. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. I, my financial portfolio is going down. But you look on the instrument panel and it says, no, no, it's going up. But what do you mean it's going up? I see it's, it's going down. It's not, it's going up. Maybe in the short term, you're not getting that extra day of it. But my business, busiest day of the week is Shabbos. I, 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 I have to have my store open. I have to, this is when everybody's off. It's holiday season. I got, trust me, everything is going to be okay. You're going to make the same amount, if not more, by keeping Shabbos. This is spiritual vertigo. This is something that if you don't understand that you have to trust in the Torah, then you will be going in the opposite direction. You'll be hurling down to earth when you think you're going up. You think you're, you're steiging in your finances, everything is great, it's amazing, but really you're going down. Because the Torah says if you don't, you're gonna, if you don't listen to me, if you don't take my sir, then what you think is, is prosperity is really going to lead to your demise, like what, what ISIS brings. 
And when you do take mice and you think that's leading to my financial ruin, you're going to be fabulously wealthy from that. So up is down and down is up. And it's so important not just to believe in HaKadosh Baruch but to believe in the Torah, to have trust and faith that what the Torah says is emes. There's another application of this Yisaid, how sometimes we don't see things clearly, we get very disoriented in our life. And that's when it comes to Chachme Yisrael. Having a Munas Chachamim. Believing in in Gedele Yisrael and what they say and the advice that they give. Again, the Torah itself Remember the quote that we had from that pilot? He said that sometimes you think you're going right and you're going left, and you think you're going left, you're going right. Well, the Torah actually says that with those words. The Torah says, Do not veer off course from what the Chachmei Yisrael will tell you, not to the right and not to the left. Don't go anywhere, just stay on the course. Don't go to the right and don't go to the left. What does that mean, don't go to the right and left? Chazal say, a remarkable medrash, Even if the rabbis, the great rabbis tell you that your right hand is your left hand, and your left hand is your right hand, and you think this is absolutely preposterous. What does that mean? I know. My mother taught me that the left hand is the one that you go like this and you see an L. That, that, that's the symbol that it's the left hand. You're telling me now this is my right hand? No, I'm, I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to believe that. And my right hand is my left hand? No, 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 that's a, that's a backwards L. That's not true. You're telling me something that's not true. What does that mean that the rabbis are telling us something that we think is that left is right, right is left? What does that mean? that mean that they're just them, that they're, we, have, we have to be in a trance and, like, and, and, and completely submit ourselves to the, to the rabbis and it makes absolutely no sense? The answer is that what we think is right is really left. What we think is left is really right. In our minds, we think we have everything straight. We think that we have Das Taira. Everything that we know, where we're very smart, we're sophisticated, we went to college, and we, and we were in business, and we know the world, we're street smart, we know all the news, we know all the sports, we know all the hack. We're very smart. Don't, I don't need any rabbis telling me what to do. Thank you very much. I, I'm good. I know exactly what to do. Ask me advice. I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you what I think. But you have to know that if G'dayli Yisrael tell you something, bonafide G'dayli Yisrael tell you something, and it seems to you to be the opposite of what's the truth, you have to trust in them. Even though it seems to go against every fabric of your being, everything is telling you, run from this rabbi, he's not telling you the truth, it doesn't make sense. You're going, in a, you're in a helicopter now, and you're hurtling in one direction, you have to, you're trusting yourself. But the rabbi is telling you, you're going down, you're going to crash, get up, go up. And if you listen to him, you're going to be very, in very good shape. And if you don't listen to him, you're in big trouble. The Ramchal and the Mesos Yisharim says a beautiful mashal 
says in the, in the fancy palaces, and you still find this, and if you uh, do a search on it, you'll find uh, that in Europe, and in, I, I was once at one of these in, in Toronto, I think they have it, uh, there's something called the garden maze. A garden maze is a regular, it's like a, a maze that you do, a, you know, a, the puzzle type of maze with a pen, but somebody went to a, a very big expense to make a maze like that in their private gardens, and it's almost it's like a game. It's like somebody goes through it and tries to. So it's like hedges, like very high hedges you can't see over, and you're walking. So it's like you're walking through a, an actual maze instead of doing it on a piece of paper. So you hit a, uh, you hit a dead end here, and then you're going around. You're getting more and more frustrated that you're not getting through to the other side of the maze. So what do you do? You're going and bump, and then you go right, bump, left, bump. You keep on bumping into dead ends, and you don't know what you're getting frustrated. So the way that these mazes were constructed was that they have a, a gazebo in the middle of the maze, like an elevated platform with a gazebo. And there is a man very often standing in the gazebo, and he knows exactly how to get around it. He knows the, the way to get through the, through the maze. So he says, the Ramchal says that if you're stuck in the middle of the maze... And this person who has a bird's eye view, he's standing on high, he could see where you are and how to get you out of it. He's telling you, go in this direction, go up, make a left, make a right, and now you're going to be good soon. Now, if you trust him, you're in good shape. He knows. He knows what to do. He's been around the block. He knows, he knows this maze very well. He knows how to get you through it. But if you're going to say, no, 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 thank you, I, you know, I know how to get, I don't need you. I'm doing very, very well. I'm just going to make a right. You made a left. You're going to make a left. You made a right. You're, you're stuck. Chachme Yisrael is that man standing on top of the gazebo. And they have a more broad perspective. They have a Tyradigger perspective. They have what we call Das Tyra. They're able, their minds are so imbued, so saturated with Divre Tyra. They've been learning 70, 80 years with Amelos, with Yagia, without any other distractions. So their knee-jerk reaction to something is what the Tyra's knee-jerk reaction to something is. When you go to a rabbi for, uh, for advice, you're not going to him because he's a wise, sagely old man. There's other ways. You can go to, go to your grandfather for that. He's also, you know, wise. Chachmi Yisrael are somebody that their minds are molded by the Tyra. Their instinctive reactions is what the Tyra is telling us. They have that instrument panel the Tyra instrument panel in their cockpit is, their, is in their brains. And so when you go to them for advice and you're asking, you know, what should I do in this situation? And they're telling you something. Sometimes it sounds like the opposite I should be doing. I thought that I should be doing this. He's telling me to do that. What are you going to do now? You're going to basically put your own personal feelings and shelve them and, and, and just say, okay, I'm mevatel myself to your das taira. I'm completely subservient to what you say. Or are you going to say, ah, he's, a, he's a really big rabbi, I, 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 but I, I can't do it. I'm, I'm going to just do what I thought to do myself. And that's the difference between flying in the right direction and flying in the wrong direction. Never permit your spiritual vertigo to get you dangerously close to crashing. So a Misa from Chaim Kanievsky, who's basically the Das Taira of our generation. He's, the, he's not only the Das Taira, he's also the, 
the Sharish of Bracha. I think Rabbi Yashav said about his son in law, Rechaim, that, that the key to Brachas in our Dar is in the hands of Rechaim. All the day, Rav Shach felt he was a God. He he's basically Dastair in our generation. So, and you see, because like what we said before, he's so, he's, he's Shakul, he knows everything. His mind is all Tyra. Everything that he looks at is Tyra. He, he sees something, he's reminded of a Zayar. He sees another thing, he's reminded of a Yerushalmi and a Medrash and a, and a Psikta and a, a Pirkadur Belazar. He has everything in his mind. It's a hard thing to even talk about because it's so, it's so amazing. But he makes a Siyam on Kalatar Kula every year. And so the story goes like this, that there was a, a family that owned an apartment in Eretz Yisrael somewhere, and the downstairs neighbor was like a mobster. He was like a, a real underworld uh, figure who was very anti-Haredi, very against the Tyra, and he was a dangerous, dangerous man. They didn't realize that that's who was living underneath them until after they moved in. And, and this guy would make their life a Gehenna. Every Shabbos, knowing that it was their Shabbos, he would crank up his music really loud, and he would threaten them, and he would, they, would, they had certain rights to build and to expand on their apartment. That's why they paid a little bit extra for it. But he said, he threatened them, you're never going to build anything because I don't want to hear the construction. I want, I want the building staying exactly the way it is. So they couldn't do any construction. They, couldn't, they needed to expand their, 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 their living space. They couldn't do that. And so they just put the apartment up for sale. They, they just couldn't live like that. Every Shabbos, Shabbos was in Shabbos, Yandib was in Yandib, nights. They, it was just, uh, it was just not, a, not a quality of life. So they, were, they put it up on the market, and you know, people came, and then they hopped at who was living downstairs, and they hopped that they wouldn't be able to expand the property. And they, a lot of people, they just said, okay, well, we're not, we're not interested in, in buying your headaches. Finally, one guy comes and says, listen, I know that this is a crazy situation. I know you want to move. I'll give you 10 cents on the dollar for your apartment, meaning if it's a million-dollar apartment, I'll give you $100,000. And that's my final offer, and no, no questions asked, just take it or leave it. And they were very tempted to cut their losses and leave because they wanted to have a life. They wanted to live in, a, in an apartment that they could actually breathe and have Shabbos and have Zmiris and have a normal Yiddishkeit, but it's $100,000 instead of a million dollars. a hard thing to do. So they went to the Ur Mitumim. They went to Reb Chaim Kanievsky's apartment on Rechob Rashbam, and they asked him what to do. So Reb Chaim hears the story, and Reb Chaim says to them, don't sell. Don't sell. So what do you mean, don't sell? Says, says, wait for him to run away. Wait, wait for him to run away. You don't, don't sell. Just let him run away. You don't have to run away. He said, run away? He's not running anywhere. The guy's a multimillionaire. The guy is very entrenched in this building. He's, a, he's entrenched. He's here to stay. He's not going anywhere. He's not becoming a Baal He's not going nowhere. So Chaim said, okay, whatever. That, that's, I'm telling you what I think. You, you can do what you want. But that's what I'm saying. So they were very torn. Here you have an internal feeling like, let's just cut our losses, run and buy another apartment somewhere else and live happily ever after. Or... Trust Reb Chaim Panievsky, who's sitting in his little apartment in, 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 in Bnei Brak, who never saw this apartment, doesn't know the guy living underneath us. What, what should we do? What do you do? 
I want to move on with, with my life. I, I don't have the, the patience to listen to what Rav Chaim said. Anyway, they said, okay, you know what? We're taking the, market, the, house, the apartment off the, off the market. We're going to continue. We're going to be macabre what Rav Chaim said, and we're going to just do it that way. A few days later, a truck crashed into an electrical pole right outside of that apartment building and basically knocked out all of the electricity in the, in the surrounding area. And it destroyed the entire security system of this mobster. He had a very elaborate, you know, mobsters don't like leaving their front door open. They have very sophisticated alarm systems that no one comes in and, and takes their money, kills them, whatever. So the, this whole security system that he had, this whole electrical surveillance system, was now completely um, worthless because there's no electricity in the building. The next night, Ganavim, knowing that there was no security system in the building, they broke into his apartment and they stole a million dollars cash from his apartment, from this mobster's apartment. And this mobster was having like a nervous breakdown. He ran away somewhere and he, uh, he basically wasn't seen for months and months and months. He was going crazy. And then finally, the apartment, his apartment was sold. He just basically ran away from the situation, and he sold that apartment, and then they were able to, uh, uh, soon thereafter, a developer came and bought that entire building and paid them a very handsome premium for, their, for the Frum family's apartment. Plus, they gave them a free apartment in that building that, there was, that was going to be rebuilt. It was like a, a happily ever after. Mamish, a beautiful ending to the story. Why was there a beautiful ending to the story? Because they landed their plane accurately. Because they listened to the man on the gazebo. They listened to the man on the elevated platform that's able to see the maze of life. We're not able to see in, inside the maze of life. Because we're, we just keep bumping into, into the hedges of the maze of life. We don't see clearly. I don't know if I'm going through How do I know if I'm going through that? I think this is a good decision for me to, to do this, to, to take this job, to marry this girl, to, to, to move to this community, to invest in this stock, to, to whatever, to, to, to learn this mesafta over that mesafta, to learn to join that pile over that, to go to this graduate school over that. I don't, what do I know? I know my, what I'm doing. I'm just like, I'm going through the motion. I have no idea. I'm trusting my gut instinct. What does your gut instinct mean? I'm trusting my gut. Like, like as if you're the, you have, you know, you're, you're, you're a shach and you're trusting your gut. Who, who are we to know to trust our gut? What's our gut? Your, your savviness, your, your, your worldliness. How do you know that that's trustworthy? How do you know that instead of going up, you're really not going down? That's what Das Taira is. That's what going to G'dayla Yisrael when we have situations we don't know what to do. I don't know where to send my kids to yeshiva. I don't know whether to make aliyah. I don't know whether or not to take this job or that job. I don't know whether I should go to college or not go to college, to go to kail or not go to kail. I don't know. Who do I go to? Where do I go? I should trust myself. That's pretty bad. If I'm trusting myself, I'm in bad shape because what do I know? I want to go to the Torah. But what does that mean, going to the Torah? I should, I should you know, do a, do a gairla grow with a chumash? What does it mean? It means that you go to G'dayla Yisrael. There's a bona fide double Yisrael that you know his mind is saturated with Das Tayra. What does that mean, Das Tayra, by the way? Rebuchan Vasman says a Gavalda Gavar in what Das Tayra. How do I know? This is a Kailo guy, and he seems to be learning really well. Does he have Das Tayra? 
Who has Das Taira? How do I know? Why do I know that Reb Chaim Kanievsky is Das Taira as opposed to some, my local shul rabbi? How do I know what is Das Taira, what's not Das Taira? So Reb Chanan answers this question with precision. He says, the truth is that we all have Das Taira to a certain degree. Because if you learn Taira, and Baruch Hashem we learn Taira, so there's part of our brain is Taira there. We have Taira in our brain. We have the logic of the Gemara, we have uh, the Svaris, we have the, the Lumdus, we have something is in our brain that has Tyradic patterns. But he says it all depends how much of your brain is Tyra and how much of your brain is other things. Meaning, if let's say we learn an hour a day, Gemara, Rashi, Tysis, whatever, we learn an hour a day, that's pretty good. But our other waking hours, what are we busy with? We're looking at news, we're looking at sports, we're studying uh, you know, psych, we're studying chemistry, bio. So basically, let's say, and this is generous, 10% of my brain is Tyra, 90% of it is not. Then there are other, you go to Rav Steinemann, and Rav Steinemann is Shakua totally, totally submerged in Tyra. There was nothing else but Tyra. He ate Tyra, he slept Tyra, he breathed Tyra, he walked Tyra, he, he, he ran Tyra. Everything was Tyra by him. 100% of his brain was Tyra. There was no movies, there was no uh, Facebook, there was no, uh, there was no sports statistics, there was no Super Bowl, there was, no, there was nothing. It was Tyra, Tyra, and more Tyra. That's it. Everything was halacha and Tyra and Musr and Hashkafa. Everything was, was Tyra dick. Everything. When he saw something physical, when he saw an electrical appliance, or when a Pisces sees an electrical he doesn't see it as, oh wow, that's cool, and walk away. What about Shabbos? Is this, is this, can I use this on Shabbos? Is it, is it a problem you know, opening and closing this? Is it a problem setting this up? Is the electrical lights? Is, is, is it? They saw things with a halachic perspective. But everything is tired. There's nothing that's outside of the Tchum of Tyre. I just saw, I didn't read what it said about it, but I, you know, they asked Chaim Kanievsky about the coronavirus. A horrible deficit, it's a frightening thing. I think over 600 people were killed from this virus already, and it's spreading. And you know, we think oh, those are for the Chinese people, They're, they have coronavirus. How do you know? Come to me, there's a case in Queens of coronavirus, not to freak anyone out, but there's a case in, in Queens. Uh, you, know, you, you go into a Dunkin' Donuts, and you exchange, I don't know how it spreads, but... But, you know, it's very possible. The person, like, a few minutes before you just were, was a nurse in the hospital in Queens that was treating this coronavirus patient, and he, you know, she just touched the lady's hand, and now you're, you know, you're, you're giving her money. I, I don't know. It's a pachet pachadim. Well, you think it's people, it's overseas? So they ask him, what, what's, what do you say about the corona? Now, you ask me what I say. What, who cares what I say? Well, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a physician. I'm not, I'm not a, you know, I don't know anything about diseases. So what are they going to reply for? He's not either. Because Reb Chaim has the Tyra in his brain. And if you want to know what, what doctors say, go to die. You want to know what the Tyra says about something, go to Reb Chaim Kanievsky. He'll tell you what the Tyra says about this. I'm an expert in this. What do you hear? The rabbi is telling me about coronavirus. I study it. Fine. So take your studies and enjoy them. You want to know what the Tyra says about it? You go to Reb Chaim Kanievsky. You want to know what you say about it? Okay. You, you do what you want. And in life, it's a, one of the hardest things about being a Yid is to turn off, because Jews are very smart people. We are. 
we're smart people, we're very savvy, we're very sophisticated, it's hard to, to, do, to, to, to trick a Jew. Jews are very on top of their game always. They know the hack and they know how to deal and they know how to wheel. So for us, it's sometimes very hard to go against our internal, our internal feelings about what we're doing. We, we, know, we, we think we know everything. We think that we know we're, we're so educated, we're so knowledgeable, we're so, and my God, and, my, and I have to trust myself and all that. Fine, you could do that. But it's a scary thing because you might be going in the opposite direction. What you think is up might really be down. What you think is down might really be up. Look at the Mitzvah in this week's parasha. They were running away from the Yamsav. They thought, okay, let's go. We got, we're running. We have it on the run. They're going right into it. You look, at, you look, you know, you look from an overall uh, a drone watching what they're doing. He's like, no, stop, stop, stop. What are you doing? You're running right into the water. And they're just running right in. They're like taking a nice jog right into the water. And it seems ludicrous. What are you doing? We're all doing the same thing. In life, we're all doing the same thing. We're trusting ourselves, our instincts, and we have spiritual vertigo, and what we think is right is left, left is right, up is down, down is right, and we don't know. They quote a Bach, there's a famous Bach, and I saw it inside, it doesn't say it exactly as Geschmack, but the Welt, the Welt says from the Bach, and I, it's not the Welt, I saw it in uh, Rebensin Abashol Sefer, Arletzion on Musser, he brings it down, B'Shem the Bach. So you have a good source for it. And I heard it by Yeshiva dinner with 1,200 people in the room. And Abalabas was saying this. The, one of the, the, the heads of this big Yeshiva, the lay, lay leaders of this very large, impressive Yeshiva, was saying this following bar from the Bach. Das Balabatim is Kinege Das Taira. It's Kinege Das Taira. It doesn't say it's not Das Taira, it's the opposite of Das Taira. What a Balabayas, and let's all consider ourselves for a few minutes Balabatim, what we think, our gut instinct, is Kinege Das Taira. Meaning, if you want to know what Das Taira is, you go over to a Balabas, ask him you know, what you should do, and then do the exact opposite, and that's Das Taira. That's what it means, I think, when the puzzle says, I feel you should listen to the You know why? Because that's not just an aberration. Once in a while, they're going to say something that seems the opposite. Every time they're going to tell you something, it's probably, don't be shocked if it's the opposite of what you think is the right thing to do, because the das of Tyre is opposite of your das. You think you know what you're doing, you don't. The Tyre knows what you think is the right thing is probably diametrically opposite of what the right thing is to do. If you trust the Torah, you learn halacha, you give your meiser, you give your shab- you keep your Shabbos, you keep your Shemitah, you do everything the Torah says, you spend $150 on your Esurag, and you spend a lot of money on your sukkah, and you say, like, this is crazy, for eight days I'm buying a $180 lemon, a glorified lemon for $180? What, am I crazy? So it's an act of insanity. Why am I doing this? Because the Torah says, well, only because of that. The Torah says, take a, take a nice fruit. The nice fruit is an esther. I want to take the nicest esther I could find. I could afford. Do it. Now, a ra- rationally, it doesn't make sense. Rationally, you're going to go to the guy on the street, get, a, get an $18 esther with like a big black mark on it, and just, when you're in shul, you just hold the black, you know, you hide that part of it. The rest of the esther looks really good. 
and you're, you know, you're shaking and everyone's like really happy. Everyone's happy. You get through Sukkot, you trip through Sukkot, and you're good. Why am I buying a $180 lemon? Because the terrorist says it. But it's the op- but that, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, okay. So listen to yourself then. You want to you, you be a Dastari, you be a Dastari. But don't be surprised if you're going in the wrong direction in life. You laugh at people, they're so medactic on this, so medactic in Mahadran and, and Chalv Yisrael and Chadar. Come on, give me a break. Give me a break. You don't have to do it necessarily. You could be Simon Khan place and let's say you don't. But don't make fun of anybody because they're doing a lot closer to what Das Torah is than you are. They're trying to, they're trying to steig a little bit in their Yiddishkeit. Don't make fun of it. Don't put it down. Rationally, it doesn't make sense. I need to find the... No, it doesn't make sense rationally. But we're not about rationality. We're not, we're, we're not believers in rationality. It's ira, is irrational. But it's not irrational. It seems irrational to us. But in the Eilam Emes, in the real world, it's very rational. People that see wealth expanding because they gave Maisa, they had that leap of faith, they did it. They see that in the world of truth, in the world of reality, the rational world, it's reality. It seems irrational because you're living in an irrational universe. You're living in a, in a universe that's not Tyredic. If you're living in a purely Tyredic world, what seems irrational is, is, is really rational. And it's like this with keeping all the mitzvahs. It's like this with, keep, with listening to Gale Yisrael, with putting our money into mitzvahs, with investing in, in the way that the Torah wants us to invest. All of these are critical yisaitis. Don't trust yourself. Find a rav, find a rebbe, find somebody that you believe that has das Torah more than you. And he might say, I, it's above my pay grade, and you have to go, for this you need to go to Rav David Feinstein. For this you have to go to Rav Chaim Kanievsky. For this you have, but but you can't trust yourself on the, on the major decisions in life. Because when you trust yourself and you don't bounce ideas or, or go and be shayel etza by people greater than us who know the Torah, who understand right and wrong, who know what's right and left, if you don't do that, then who knows what's going to be. Don't trust yourself. Trust the Torah. Look at the instrument panel and train yourself. If you're a well-trained Jew, like a well-trained pilot, you have to trust the instrument panel over your own instincts because your own instincts are lying to you. I read somewhere that the Israelis, in their fighter jets, they put two of these instruments in, like separately designed instruments to know whether you're going up or down because they're so afraid of this vertigo that, and they know that a pilot instinctively will trust their own instincts over the instrument panel, so they have to put two in saying that, okay, even if one of them is faulty, this one, two of them are not faulty. Trust the instrument panel. You trust the Tyra, that's your instrument, you're, you're going to be fine. Just trust it. You have to put your faith in it, and in HaKadosh Baruch and in G'dayla Yisrael. But the second that we trust ourselves, we're going to look at ourselves and say, Mitzrayim Nasim L'Krasa, Ramamish running right into the Yamsuf. I thought I was running away from them. I'm right into the Yamsuf. I'm going up is down, down is up. And you go through a whole life. And then at the end of the life, you go, oh, I was so good, I invested in it, I did that. And, and it might be that you completely blew it. Everything you did was wrong. It was all backwards. You think you're going to get schar, you're going to get einish. You think you're going to get einish, you're going to get schar. Right up is, you don't know anymore what's going on because you have no 
you're so disoriented, you were so disoriented in life that you had no hadracha. And that's the beauty of our Torah. The Torah gives us something to trust in. It's something real. Goyim don't have a Torah that they say, you know, this is it. They don't have like G'daylam that they can go to without any personal interest and they know that they're giving us, you know, what we, what we need to hear. They don't have that. They're all like flying planes and, you know, doing everything but, but, but going in a normal way. We have the ability to fly our plane through life with perfect calibration, with perfect altitude. Keeping steady, doing the right thing, keeping away from the wrong things. Everything is spelled out so clearly in our instrument panel. And we have to learn to trust it over our own internal emotional clock. Have a good chance.